Ducks fans, are you ready? You are listening to the Ducks and Pucks podcast. This is the number one home for Anaheim Ducks talk and analysis. Here we go. Welcome to the show. This is your host, Mike Walters, and I have a special show this time around, a little bit different. I have Thomas Harrington joining me, and we're going to talk all about the draft uh, for this this past week that happened, and just cover that and, and go into detail with all the Ducks picks and get all of Thomas's thoughts. As you know, he writes a lot of articles for us in Ducks and Pucks. He's like our, our, our summer all-star, I would call it. He covers so much stuff with the prospects in San Diego and the draft and whatnot uh, in the summertime. So, um, Thomas, thanks for doing everything that you do for us. Yeah, happy to help. Thanks for uh, having me on. All right, let's let's uh, let's break it down. So the, the draft was a little strange in the beginning, I guess. Uh, some people um, didn't know if Wright was going to go first or Slokovsky was going to go first, and it ended up Wright did not go first, but then he ended up dropping down uh, to fourth and went to Seattle. Uh, what was kind of your initial thought on that, Thomas, as the top five uh, you know, fo- unfolded the way everybody thought it did? Ha-ha. So it was kind of weird. So the top six players who were drafted were pretty much everyone's consensus top six, but the order was... Not quite flipped on its head, but it was uh, very few had that order. Slavkovsky went first, and it, it was really him or Shane Wright from Montreal, and they liked the the big burly winger out of Slovakia, so that's what they wanted. That's what they wanted. And then New Jersey at number two, uh, it was a little less surprising they didn't choose Wright. You know, they've chosen Jack Hughes, Nico Hishar, and a few other high end centers in recent years, and most teams are going to draft the best player available. But when you've got you know the first second, third, fourth overall pick, you can probably afford to, rather than choose best player available, draft for needs because they're going to impact your organization that much sooner. And they really needed a high-end defenseman. So that's why they picked uh, Simon Nemitz out of Slovakia as well. And that was actually really cool because it's the first time Slovakia has gone one, two in the draft. And they actually have a third pick in the first round as well. Um, when uh, Philippe Massar went to uh, Montreal 26th overall. What really surprised me was Arizona when they took Cooley over Wright. Um, most people had Wright as the top center, Cooley as the second. So flipping them wasn't that big of a shock, but the fact that you know Wright was still that third, I think everyone thought he was going to go then, and then Arizona passed on taking Logan Cooley. So just that tells me Arizona never really thought that Wright would be there, and they had just targeted Cooley. They'd done all their work and research on Cooley, so he was their guy. And because they put so much work and effort into identifying him, they were going to go with him even though Wright was still there. That may prove to be the incorrect choice several years down the line, but you know they really liked what they saw in Cooley. And then I think Seattle's like, heck yeah, we're taking Wright. We're very happy to do this. It actually reminds me of uh, 2010 when the Ducks foul. It just he was most people had about third or fourth overall. He kept falling and falling, and the Ducks picked up at 12th. And, you know, the Ducks, he wasn't even on Anaheim's radar that year to be picked. And I don't think Wright was on Seattle's radar this year because everyone had him at one or two overall. So I think the Kraken were just thrilled to get what might be the best player in this draft. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think that was for them. Uh, you're right. I, I thought Cooley was going to go after Wright. I thought Arizona was going to pick him when they didn't. 
and Seattle came up, I'm like, if they don't pick right, then I'm really going to be shocked. And, and, I, and I agree with you, or I think that you're right, that uh, Seattle won out on getting right um, on the team. So it was interesting to see. And, and, and like you said, they had the top six, but a different order. So that kind of got things started uh, a little bit differently. And then we also you know, had a bunch of trades going on. Uh, throughout this draft, but in the beginning, it kind of got uh, kicked off with Chicago and Ottawa uh, with the Debrinket trade, and then they later uh, traded uh, Kirby Doc too as well. What, what do you think's going on with Chicago? It seems like they're just kind of trying to upload on uh, on picks and unload players. I mean, I, I don't know. A lot of people are you know scratching their head over these uh, trades that Chicago was doing. So to me, Chicago is doing what Arizona is doing. They are tanking for next year. They want that first overall pick. Connor Bedard in 2023 is projected to be not just the first overall pick, but a, a franchise pick. Um, so they really want that player. And trading to bring that signals, we're not competing this year, but we already knew they weren't going to compete this year. But trading to bring out one of their arguably two best players last year really shows, you know what? We're going for Bedard. Um, and to bring Cat, he's in, he's good enough to win some games and improve them in the standings. So they unloaded him. And personally, I think it was a bad idea to move him, given how young he is. He scored 40 goals, what, twice in his five-year career. But if you get Bernard, it's worth it. If you don't, then it's absolutely not. Um, I also think they could have and should have gotten more for him. It was, uh, what, the first round pick this year, which was seventh overall. Um, and then uh, a second round pick and a third round pick next year and you know a first second and a third for someone who goes to Brinkat I was actually kind of shocked it was that low like yeah but going to the draft Chicago did saying we're only going to trade him if someone just blows us away with an offer to me a first second and a third is not blowing away for the Brinkat even with the seventh overall pick included if it had been two first or the seventh overall and like one of uh, Ottawa's best prospects, or rather, really good young players. They've got a ton of young talent in Ottawa. Then it would have made more sense. But this, I, I just don't think Chicago, Chicago got enough. And if they don't get the dart next year, it will, I don't think, be worth it. Yeah, and I think your sentiment is what a lot of other people agreed with, too. At first, when I looked at it, I thought, oh, that's a lot of players. But then um, you're, you're right when you, you look at that pick, uh, that first overall pick, and then a second and a third, and you definitely think Chicago could have gotten more uh, for sure. So it's it's interesting to see. And I think some of that may factor into how the Ducks drafted too because a lot of people and we'll go into uh, the Ducks, we'll kind of break it up. We'll talk about uh, day one with the two picks that they had and then we'll talk about day two. But it, this kind of ties into the Ducks drafted uh, you know heavy defensemen early and like you had alluded to, next year's draft is going to be loaded with offense in the beginning. So I know some people, after the first four picks, were like, whoa, the Ducks picked three defensemen. But I think that tied into it. Um, going into uh, day one, um, we, you know, we, we talked about your articles on the last show. Um, and, and we were looking at who would be the ones that the Ducks would go with in the first round. I I felt my take on this, Thomas, was that the Ducks would go forward defenseman or defenseman forward. I I felt that they would pick one or the other. Looking at everything that you wrote in your article, and I looked at a couple other reports too, it seemed like the Ducks would go with defense 
with the 10th pick and then a forward in the 22nd pick. And that's what they did. Uh, what what did you think? What did you think about um, Pavel Mendyukov as 10th and then Nathan uh, Gaucher as 22nd? Uh, what's your take on these picks? Were you surprised? I know they weren't necessarily the ones that you, you thought they might pick in your articles that you wrote. But uh, how did you feel about these two picks on day one for the Ducks? So... For Mijikov, I really like the pick. He wasn't who I uh, thought they were going for. I thought they were going with, uh, like, Armaki, who went 15th overall to Vancouver. But he was one of the uh, seven players I identified. I thought the Ducks had a high likelihood to take. Um, I thought between him, Korczynski, who went to Chicago, Casper, who went to Detroit, uh, Geeky, um, Matichuk, and um, like Armaki, I thought he'd be one of those players. So, while I had guessed Lekaramaki, I think Mindyukov is a really, really good selection. Um, I don't know if he'll be a true top-pairing defenseman, but if he gets good enough, he could certainly get to that point, is, would be the hope. Um, you know, he, the biggest concern I have with him is because of COVID-19, he missed the entire 2020-2021 season because the OHL canceled their season that year, um, and he was never able to play anywhere else. You know, a lot of OHL players tried to find... Um, places in Europe to play uh, or go to the USHL. Um, but, you know, a lot just didn't get to play, and he was one of them, um, which meant the 2021-2022 season this past year in the OHL was a really weird year for a lot of players um, because so many hadn't played and a few had. I think the ones who had were really dominating early in the season, and then finally everyone else kind of caught up as the year went along. Um, but, you know, all that being said, he had a great year playing for an team. The Saginaw Spirit were one of the worst teams in the OHL. Um, I think like second worst overall in points. Um, but you know, in 67 games, he led them with 62 assists. Um, he scored 17 goals. And this is as a defenseman. Um, so those kinds of numbers um, for a defenseman on a bad team are really good. Um, so this is a pick I am really happy with, even though it's not the one that I thought they were going to make. I still really like this pick a lot. Yeah, I, I thought it was a good one, um, you know, talking about defensemen. I mean, Korczynski was one that Eddie and I had kind of talked about and thought, okay, a lot of mock drafts had him on there. Obviously, you mentioned him in your article as well. And then when Mintyukov came up, uh, I was good uh, with that. Looking, uh, size kind of being the theme of this draft, we'll talk about that too. Every every yeah. pick was over six foot tall in this draft for the Ducks, which is crazy. Uh, I think they were all over 6'2". Yeah, I, I think you're right, and I think I think that's the first. I, I I don't know. Don't quote me, but it might be the first time in Ducks history that every single draft pick was like you said, six two and above. Crazy. I uh, can believe it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, th- I think it was. So, but I I like this player. Um, they talk about him having a good slap shot, a good one timer. Um, he's an excellent skater, good transition game. Um, they say sometimes he gets a little hemmed in on the offensive end. But uh, overall, I think he's a guy that'll do well for the Ducks. And I, I think at that time, going by position, that was what the Ducks would go with, and it made sense. And then the 22nd pick, uh, another another big guy. You have Nathan Gaucher at 6'3", 207. Good Lord. Big big boy. Um, yeah, he's huge. Um, and, you know, he's a good four checker. He doesn't have... So he actually reminds me a little bit of Isaac Lundstrom picked back in 2018. He doesn't have the highest offensive ceiling, but he's going to play in the NHL. He's going to find success in the in the NHL. Is he going to score 50 goals? No. But he could score you know, 20, 30 goals, be great as a second, maybe even third-line center. Um, you know, 
you've got Zegers first line, McTavish second line. If you then have Gauthier on your third line, that's a great one-two-three punch uh, down the middle. Um, that's going to be really hard to handle because you've got the skill of Zegers, and then um, both McTavish and Gauthier really use their bodies effectively as power forwards. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Oh, you know, one thing you did touch on there that I did like in the draft, I forgot to bring it up, was they did bring out McTavish um, yeah. to announce, uh, you know, one of the picks for the Ducks, which I thought that was great because, like you had alluded to, the last two drafts are all funky with everything going on. So I thought that was a nice touch by the Ducks, Thomas. Yeah, I, I agree. That was that was probably my favorite thing was seeing Mason. Like, he he didn't get this draft experience to, to give this, to let him be a part of it a year later. I thought it was a really nice touch. Um, that was actually one of my favorite things I saw. Um, up there with Marty San Louis uh, at the start of the draft, saying, you know, this is my first draft ever. And, you know, he's one of the best players of all time. because he was, And he was never drafted. Just ex- encourage players who don't get picked. Um, I, I always really like that kind of stuff when teams do that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I thought that was great. I, lo- I loved how the Ducks did that. Um, but getting back to what you were saying, yeah, I mean, Gaucher, um, you know, big guy like you're talking about. Some compared him to Niedermeyer, and, and they said the similar that you said, kind of the offensive upside might be a little bit limited. Um, good two-way forward, uh, good playmaker, good IQ, uh, also isn't afraid to go in the corners, which is another thing. So in the, the first day, I thought the Ducks did really well. I, I think... Um, once Korchinski was gone, they, they went with who I wanted at the 10th pick. The 22nd, I think, was a little bit wider open. There were still some other options out there. Um, were you happy overall with day one, um, Thomas, with how the Ducks did? I was. So for Gaucher, he wasn't on my final list of players available, uh, final list of players who I was hoping to pick. Um, but the player I had chosen, Rucker uh, McGrody, went to Winnipeg 14th overall. I was surprised to see how high he went in the draft. Um, so once he was gone, um, the other players I liked, Ogren, Osland, um, I can't remember his name, Miro Shednechenko, um, Pickering, you know, they were all gone. So there were there were still a lot of good players like Gaucher, Snuggerud, Yurov, Kulich, who I was like, I could be happy with any of these. Um, and they went Gaucher. Um, he was on my initial list of players I was looking at at the 22nd overall pick. Um, that list that was, I have to say, over 30 people because this draft was just wide open, um, partially because of the pandemic, because of lost seasons, but also just partially because there wasn't um, a lot of really high-end talent. There's no McDavid or Matthews at the very top of the draft, which kind of everyone follows. Um, so because the, the talent was a little closer, um, it made things a lot more, uh, I think, open-ended in terms of um, what uh, players teams are going to pick. Um, and then also there is the, the Russian factor to uh, look at this as well. So the Ducks actually chose a Russian player in the first round for the first time since Stanislav Chisov back in 2001. Um and he was the, the quote-unquote, the safe Russian pick because he's playing in North America. All the other Russian players fell um, pretty far down the draft um, because of what's going on uh, in Russia right now. Like It's already hard enough to get Russian prospects to come stateside. I remember reading a little while ago that uh, Kaprizov in Minnesota, um, he stayed in Russia so long because they wanted him to stay for so long. He wanted to come over to Minnesota a couple years ago, um, but, you know, he stayed because they said, you know, we want you to stay as long as possible. So he did that for them. So there's clearly a lot of pressure on Russians to stay there um, in a normal year. This is not a normal year with the war going on, the invasion going on, um, which is why a player like Danilo Yurov fell to 24th overall. Uh, most people agreed he was a top 10 talent, um, and he was on my list of potentials for the 10th overall pick if 
you know, world politics aside. With world politics being what they were, it was clear the Ducks weren't going to take him there. I actually thought maybe he'd be a decent pick at 22nd overall because if you've got two first-round picks, that second one you can reach a little bit, take a bit more of a risk on. Um, but the Ducks decided not to take that risk. Instead, Minnesota's taking that risk. Um, and we'll see, you know, how long it takes them to come to North America. Um, I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. But, you know, for Minnesota's sake, hopefully it's in the next three or four years. So it's longer than that. Um, you know, it's going to not be a waste of picks, certainly, but it's going to feel uh, it's, it's going to be unfortunate just for everyone involved that it takes so long for it to happen. Yeah, you're 100 percent right that the the you know we try to stay out of the politics on the show, but you're right. I mean, in this situation, it definitely played into the draft, and for sure uh, with what's going on, because they're you know the players aren't so easily able to come to the U.S. now from Russia, unfortunately, with all everything that's going on over there. Um, so that's definitely a factor. I agree with you in the way that this draft went, and like you said, this draft. It was kind of a weird one, too, even though we had everybody back together and in person and, and, and everything like they didn't the last couple years. Um, like you said, the, the pandemic and all that still affected what's going on. So the talent level, um, trying to read everything going on, um, is difficult. It's difficult to analyze, uh, you know, all the players probably a- after day one. I mean, you, you kind of have a feel for those, even though that's somewhat limited. And then you go into day two and you know you're trying to figure out what you're going to do next. You know the Ducks didn't make any trades uh, on day one, and then they ended up not making any trades on day two. And we'll go into the players on that. Do you think any of that had a factor into it? Do you think it was part of the talent pool? What's going on in Russia, and the fact that um, you know the next draft is supposed to be pretty loaded with offensive players. Do you think all those were a factors of why maybe Verbeek didn't make a trade on day one, and then not on day two? I think so. So one, so right now the Ducks have traded away most of the big pieces: Lindholm, Manson, Raquel, etc. Um, the last, not the only, but the last real big piece they have is Gibson, right? And you don't want to trade for pennies on the dollar, dollar the way a lot of people feel Chicago did with the Brinkat. Mm-hmm. If you're going to trade Gibson, you want it to be, you know, worth it because the Ducks don't need to trade him. They've got him signed for what, five more years at it's a high price, but it's still a relatively reasonable one, especially for a team that's a well below the cap floor currently. So they have no reason and no rush at all to trade him. If they do trade him, that signals me that the Ducks are also trying to get Bedard next year. Right. Um, so I think if they trade Gibson or anyone else, um, it would have been for either a really high pick. So one of the teams removed for who would be after Gibson was New Jersey. And the second overall pick is what they were thinking of using for it. And the second overall pick, like if that could have gotten the duck chain right this year, I think that probably would have been worth it. Um, you know, going Zegers McTavish right down the middle, you know, that sounds fantastic to me. <laughs> so I would have been okay in that deal but i think by holding on to gibson for now the ducks are saying you know if we do trade him it's going to be for 2023 um uh, draft picks that's what they really want they want someone uh preferably um who's not going to make the playoffs and get a first round pick out of them so you've got more chances to get bedard or not even just him the there's i think something like five to eight forwards at the top of that class who just ooze talent so Bedard's the one you really want but if you don't get him and you've got second third fourth fifth overall you're still gonna get a really really good forward um so if the Ducks do trade Gibson I expect it to be a 2023 first rounder and then some and 
they didn't get that right now. And I, and that's perfectly fine. Um, they, like I said, they don't need to trade in him. I don't think Verbeek has any real pressure to trade Gibson. Um, but if someone's going to offer a 2023 first-round pick and more than that, then he's going to say, okay, now we'll talk. Now I can probably do this. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's the talent level. This is a good... This draft, people kind of look at it as being average-ish. At the top, it was below average, whereas next year, it's looked as a very good draft at the top and a potentially franchise draft. So I think because of that, they're looking for picks next year rather than this year. Um, I, I remember when they were talking during the broadcast on day two, they're saying, you know, a third-round pick in 2023 is potentially equal to a second-round pick in 2022. And if that's true, you know, stock up even on mid-round picks next year, and you've got better odds of finding NHL talent. Yeah, I agree. I, I remember them saying that too. And and I know some people were kind of freaking out a little bit because they saw other teams trading and moving up and the Ducks weren't doing anything. And I was kind of of the mindset of, you know, of what you talked about, what they talked about on the show too, is like, listen, this draft isn't that crazy overboard with talent. Um, and, and I agree with you. If the Ducks do do something with Gibson, which we've talked at nauseum about that on the last couple of shows, but if they do, uh, or any other kind of big trade, you definitely want to try to get some of those picks in that 2023 draft because it's going to be loaded. So I, I think that's what played in to Verbeek not making moves. And then, like like we're talking about now, we can go into the um, the second day. And just, just a reminder before I go into that, we are part of the Old City Sports Network. One of our sponsors is uh, Body Check Wellness. Um, check them out, uh, C-H-E-K, and uh, you can use the code capital O-C-S for a discount for all your health product needs. So anyways, we'll get back to it. We'll go into day two, and, and it kind of goes into that theme um, where the Ducks then get some more defensemen. Uh, I kind of put these guys together, but they started out with two quick picks in that day. They went with Noah Warren and Tristan Luneau, and so they top out. Um, you know, the first four picks, three out of four defensemen. And again, at, at this point, I think people were kind of wondering what was going on. The Ducks didn't make any trades. Uh, three out of four guys are defensemen, which uh, to me actually made sense. They're trying to build up their, their defensive prospect pool, which I think you'll agree with that. And then they can work on that offense next draft. Uh, what, what did you think about these two picks um, in round two, Thomas? So I like both these picks a lot. Um Anaheim has a good defensive prospect pool, um, but it hasn't been, it's been a while since it's been a truly elite defensive group. And after this draft, it might be, you know, you've got three of the first picks, three of the first four picks this year. You've got Zellweger and Hines from last year. Um, going back to 2020, you've got Ian Moore, Themo Nickel. Um, you've got players like Jackson McComb and Henry Thrun who are still in there. They've got some very good up and coming kinds of prospects. And, you know, going down to, San Diego, they have, well, he's now plays forward, but originally Hunter Drew was a defenseman. He's now a forward. Um, they've got some very good defensive prospects who are coming up. Um, and this is probably the best their defensive pipeline has looked in, frankly, years. Not since the days, you know, when they had um, Lindholm, Manson, Vautnin, and a few other really good defensive prospects. So it's exciting to see their defense really become their strength again. Um, and these are all really big players, but they're also really good skaters. So talking about their first pick of the second round, Noah Warren, um, he's more of a defensive defenseman, but you know he can still put points. He had 24 points in 62 games, um, but he's really known uh, for his physical play. 
Um, and actually, in a top prospect game earlier this year, he laid out just a huge hit on Shane Wright. And Wright's just one of those players who was real because he's so skilled. He's a really hard player to hit. He just you know lined it up and pasted him into the board. It was a great hit. Um, if he works out, to me, he's the future Josh Manson. You know, he's a right-handed big guy who plays the body really well and has some offensive talent. Uh, Leno, though, he's more of a um, he's not an offensive mind that's what he's got but he certainly has more offensive talent to his game you know he had uh, um, 43 points in 63 games last year to I believe he led the Olympics uh, defense in scoring and followed that with six assists in seven playoff games um, so he, he's someone who's not going to get a ton of points but you know put him on a second power play unit he's another right hand shot he's going to put up some points and he's just a very good two way player he's got a nice first pass he's a good skater um uh, oh, and one more point about Warren. Um, jumping back to the first pick, he is big. He is six foot five. He is a giant, and he's not skinny either. He's listed at two hundred twenty-five pounds. Um, so he's not a player who is going to be easy for other teams to deal with. So I, I kind of envision him being a great PK player down the line, um, whereas Leno probably being more of the second power play unit. Um, but what I like about both of them is both clearly have NHL upside, and. They they won't be a top pairing defenseman ever, um, but you know they could both become very good second pairing defensemen. So the Ducks, with their first four picks, took three players, all who have top four potential, and you know that's a great thing uh, for an NHL team to have at a draft. Yeah, I thought it was interesting too. What did you think about them taking Warren and Luneau, them being friends since the age of ten? I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I always love seeing a team pick teammates because to me that means they already have some familiarity hopefully they like each other in this case they definitely do uh, and hopefully they already have some chemistry between each other um, i don't actually know how much or how little they played together with each other last year but i'm sure there's they're at least familiar with how each other's game works how their game develops how it evolves and i think that's going to help them as they move together to the junior ranks to san diego and then hopefully to anaheim together someday um, this reminds me a lot of 2017 when the ducks drafted comtois and morand um, they were really good friends. Um, you know, Comtois has turned into an NHL player. Unfortunately, Moran didn't work out that way. Um, hopefully, in this case, uh, the friends will make it to the NHL together. Yeah, I hope so too. I, I was I was excited once these two picks were done, and I heard about the connection, what was going on. I I liked that. I thought it was a smart move uh, by Verbeek. Obviously, they had their eyes on these players. They they were definitely looking at the Canadian. Uh, leagues uh, with these these first four picks, you know, the way that um, they were going with the draft. So overall, through the first two rounds, I was pretty happy with what um, the Ducks had done. And, and I think you're right. A lot of people compared Warren to Josh Manson. I did see a video of that hit on Shane Wright, and that was a, that was a good hit. Um, he definitely looks like a guy that's you know six five. He's going to be able to block the puck, um, get in those shot lanes, break up passes. And, and hit people. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to that. Luno seems more like a two-way um, you know, defenseman with, with more offensive upside, as you said. So I'm, I'm happy with that. I, I was pretty happy with the, um, the first four picks that the Ducks did. Um, I, I thought everything panned out and looked, it looked really well. Um, then you know, now you get kind of deeper in the draft as, as the rounds go on. They didn't have a pick in the third round. Then they had the fourth, a couple in the fifth, and the sixth. Uh, kind of digging a little bit deeper. I didn't know 
um, as much about these picks as they came up, but they went with Ben King, another another big guy, 6'2", 6'3", over 200 pounds, um, scored a lot of points, uh, 52 goals in 68 games last season. Um, you know, they started uh, picking forwards in the later rounds. And what did you think about this uh, pick in the fourth round, Thomas? Do you, you think this guy can be someone that uh, can maybe make the jump to the NHL, or is he more of an AHL guy to start? So Ben King's an interesting one. He's an overage player. He's been passed over the previous two drafts. Um, so he's already 20 years old. So usually if you draft a player of Canadian juniors, um, they have to either stay with their junior team or be in the AHL. They can't go to the AHL because of the transfer agreements. Um, they have to be 20 years old to go to play in the AHL if they were started in Canadian juniors. Well, King's already 20. So I think there's actually a very good chance um, he's going to go and play with the goals next year because, you know, he had, like you said, 52 goals. He also had 105 points. Um, he just dominated the WHL. He led them in goals. He was second in points. It's not really worth it to me to send it back to um, the WHL for an overage season. I don't think it's going to be very beneficial for his development. So I actually think the Ducks are going to sign him sometime this summer, and he's going to suit up with the goals this coming season. Um, he clearly has a lot of talent, but it's a 20-year-old playing against a league of primarily teenagers. So you really want those 20-year-olds to, to dominate. It's a great sign that he did. I'd be more worried if he hadn't dominated. Um, but... You know, if you're not dominating until your 19, 20-year-old season like he, like him, then it's a little concerning. So in his draft-eligible season, 2019-2020, uh, his first draft-eligible season, he had 46 points in 62 games, which is not a bad season. I'm actually a little surprised he wasn't you know, a 6 or 7th pick from some team. And then last year in the um, COVID-shortened season, he only played 21 games and put up 28 points. So again, I'm really surprised he wasn't picked then. Um so as a 20-year-old playing at seniors, he just dominated. He needs to go to the, to the AHL this season, um, which, again, is a rare thing for a junior player to do. I don't know what his AHL future looks like if he has one. Um, most people seem to think he's going to be a very good AHL player. Um, and if you're a very good AHL player, uh, what that means to me is you can play in the AHL at least sometimes. Maybe not be a consistent player, but you know, be one of those call-ups. And if you are one of those call-ups who come up, you know, a few times per season, like say Sam Carrick used to do, eventually, if you play well, if you might get that chance to stick full time. So I think we'll see King this year with the goals. Um, I don't think he'll be with the Ducks anytime soon, but you know, within the next two to three years, he starts being one of those people who are called up on a consistent basis. He does have a chance to make the NHL in kind of like that third, fourth line role, the way that Sam Carrick did this past year. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I think. You know, go straight to the AHL, go for the goals. Uh, like you said, he's scoring a lot of points. Stuff he is a little bit older uh, to get passed up, like you said. But I am, I am curious to see uh, how he pans out uh, if he is like a, a carrot type player, um, and then maybe squeezes in, in the bottom six with the Ducks. So interesting pick there, and then. The next pick it was kind of interesting as well because you you know they went for a little bit of an older player there, and then at one thirty nine they went with Connor uh, Vidston and he's a younger guy, much younger, still big, six two. The one knock is, is his weight. He's one sixty four is what they listed, so he needs to fill out a little bit more. But oh, yeah. uh, but what did you think about that? Now they went for like a really young player now in the next next pick. So the age cutoff is September 15th. If he was born by September 15th to qualify for the draft, he was born on September 11th. So he he made that cutoff just by four days. <laughs> um, he's one of the youngest players in the draft. And, you know, sometimes that can work out really well for a team. 
Um, last year, the Ducks picked Olin Zellweger in the uh, second round of the draft, right? Right. Uh, his birthday is September 10th. So here's another <laughs> really young player uh, who just made the cutoff. And then this year, he came in and just absolutely dominated the WHL, scoring 78 points in 55 games. Um, if he was born, you know, a week later, a lot of people think he would have been a top 10 pick this year, maybe even a top five pick. That's how good of a season he had. So mm. I don't think Vipson's going to have a season quite like that. But, you know, he has a ton of potential to grow. Um, because he is so young. So I actually like taking, um, we've got later picks in the draft. That's where we can kind of reach and try interesting things. So in one hand, you choose an overager who's going to go probably straight to the minor league and help out the goals. On the next one, you pick one of the youngest players available. Um, but because of that age, he's got a lot more untapped potential that is unknown at this point. Will it actually work out? Who knows? I certainly don't know. I hope, I hope so. Um, but this is a very young kid. Uh, and he won't even be 18 until September, which is wild to think about. Yeah, that was so, what, that was crazy. Hopefully, he works out, but he's a, he's definitely a wait and see. Like you said, though, he really needs to fill out his frame. You know, Noah Warren already has an AHL body, not just the not just the um, the height, but also the uh, the size, right? At over 200 pounds, Vincent really though needs to fill out that frame going forward. Yeah, I agree. That was the only th- the thing that concerned me. But yeah, you, you're right. I mean, if if he wasn't eligible this time around and then he was to go into the next year, yeah, he could definitely have been a top, you know, high, a much higher pick, obviously, in, in 2023 than as uh, now. So uh, I do like his mindset, though. I was reading up a little bit on him. Um, he still likes to go into the corners. He'll, you know, he'll play a two-way game and he'll still go to the net. So I'm really curious to see how he pans out. Like you said, we, we can't predict the future, but he's definitely one that I'm interested in and going to keep an eye on. Um, the Ducks then had another pick in the fifth round. They went with Michael Callow. Another, like we said, continue with the theme. You know, six foot two, six foot three. Uh, an, another player that seems to have a good hockey IQ. I do like the fact Eddie and I harp on this, but I, I like, or maybe I harp on this. I like the fact that, that a, a forward that can play center and wing. Uh, I, I always like that versatility um, when you're dra- drafting a guy. But what did you think about this pick, Thomas? So he played at St. Sebastian School last year. Uh, it's a high school prep league. And, you know, he had 26 goals in 25 games, 41 points. Um, that's a very good season at any level. Um, but it's also playing in high school. He'll be playing... Um, he's uh, he's committed to Harvard um, going forward, so we'll see how he does in the NCAA. Um, he's definitely a bit more of a project, which, of course, for which every later round pick is a project. Um, but you know, he's not a player with intriguing size. Like you said, he can play multiple positions. And the ability to play both wing and center can be really beneficial for a player uh, making their way, you know, through the college system, through the minors, and then eventually to the AHL. Um, so he's an interesting one to watch. He's also the one that I think I've read probably the least about because just there's not a ton about uh, high school players for the most part. They aren't uh, looked at as closely as um, Canadian juniors or uh, college players or um, players who go the... Um, the U.S. Junior in the uh, USHL. Yeah, you're right. When it gets down to these later rounds, it's difficult. And you and I were talking about recording this with the Ducks' last pick. We were trying to figure out how to pronounce this guy's name, unfortunately. And I hate I hate getting it wrong because that's usually what uh, we'll, we'll get hammered over. But uh, the Ducks in the last pick went with a goalie, um, Yugoslav uh, Butites, I think. I, I'm not even 100% sure how to pronounce his last name. 
and Boothead, I, Boothead. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I just, yeah. I don't know. I try to try to look up all these names, and and that was one I I could not find. But and 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 again, your your um, comment about not finding a lot of info. There's not a lot of info on this guy, but he's big. He's six foot four. Uh, you know, close to two hundred pounds. Again, the Ducks continue with his theme. He seemed to maybe struggle in juniors with the stats that I saw, but then his follow-up season, he seemed to do better and post some good numbers, Thomas. Uh, and the limited information we have, what what do you think? So, like you said, he's big. Um, he might, wasn't Brzezikov like 6'3 or something? He was also a really tall Russian goalie. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Ducks have some uh, history of drafting tall Russian goalies in the past, which certainly was a long time ago. Um, so like you said, he didn't do great Russian juniors. In, he played um, in two leagues last year, the MHL, which is the Russian Junior League, and the VHL, which is Russia's uh, second-tier league behind the KHL. Um, in the MHL, you know, you have 3.03 goals against average and an 890 save percentage. Um, so not great numbers with juniors, but when he made um, the VHL, uh, his numbers actually improved quite a bit. He had a 2.49 goals against average, a .918 save percentage, um, and what that tells me is his junior team was, frankly, not very good, and the team in the VHL was significantly better. And goaltending, their statistics can really hinge, I think, more than any other position on how good or bad a team you're on. You know, you can be Martin Brodeur, but if you're on just, you know, the worst team in the world, you're not going to put up good numbers. You might put up better numbers than someone else, but they're still not going to be very good. Um, and, you know, conversely, you can be not a very good goaltender and put up great numbers if you are behind, you know, the Red Wings defense of the mid-2000s. Um, so his stats the junior stats that aren't great but I'm I'm glad to see that they improve so much when he looks to be in front of a or looks to be behind a better team so this coming year um, as far as I know he should only play in the VHL Um, he's 20 years old as well so he's another overager they chose Um, I don't think we're going to see him though in North America you know anytime soon Um, again given what's going on with Russia just they like keeping their players there as long as possible and the war invasion of Ukraine make things even more questionable how long it's going to take for him to get here. Um, so a lot of players, when you're after, you say, okay, hopefully you're going to see them in the minor leagues in two to three years. For some college players, it might be four years if they play all four years of NCAA hockey. Um, but for someone in Russia right now, it's really unknown how long it's going to take to see them uh, come stateside. You know, the Ducks chose another Russian uh, back in 2020, Artyom Galimov. He was another overage player who was a center, though. Um, and to the best of my knowledge, there are no plans for him to come stateside anytime soon. So he was drafted two years ago. This will be his third year after being drafted. He's still playing in Russia. And, you know, he might be there for a few more years to come if he even ever does come stateside. So with these Russian players, it's really a question of just how long uh, before they're given that chance, that opportunity to come here. Or if it will even happen, or, you know, with fifth and sixth round picks, there's always a question of, you know, is it worth it for the Ducks to have someone like uh, this come over? Or, you know, if it's a sixth round pick that doesn't work out, because let's be honest, no offense to these players, most sixth round picks don't become NHL stars, NHL regulars. Um, you're hopefully finding, you know, someone for your bottom six or someone for your minor league system, because you always need more depth down there. Um, but a decent number of these players who are picked towards the end of the draft uh, aren't going to work out. And I think that's one reason why they chose a, a Russian goaltender, because they figured, you know, it's a six-round pick. We like what we've seen from him in the, in the VHL. If he does come over in a couple of years, great, we've got a solid goaltending prospect. If he doesn't, you know, we've lost a six-round pick, it's not the end of the world. I, I think that's your spot on there. I think that's uh, exactly right. 
Um, and yeah, it is a little bit frustrating when you have these Russian players and all the, the nonsense that's going on um, trying to get them uh, over here. That, that definitely plays a factor into it. But, but you're right, these fifth and sixth round players, regardless of that, a lot of times you know, you're looking more AHL-bound, minor league-bound um, depth players uh, for your organization. So, so that rounded out the Ducks' um, draft. Um, they went with all the picks that they had. Uh, they didn't make any trades. It seemed to be the theme here was they went with defense early. Um, they went with size throughout the draft. Um, they took the, you know, arguably for some people, the top three out of the QM uh, JHL. Um, what did you think overall? Like, what are your final thoughts on this draft? Um, it, it seemed like Verbeek kind of went in with a plan and he executed it, in my opinion. Yeah, so the Ducks clearly were drafting for size. Not just size. Like, they, they want size who can skate, size who has talent. Skill. They aren't just going for, you know, fourth line grinders, bottom pairing defense here. These are, especially the first four picks, players with a legitimate shot to play in the AHL. Not soon. I don't think we're going to see any of these players with the Ducks next year. Um, like I said, King's actually the, weirdly enough, um, their fourth round pick. The one we'll see in San Diego the soonest, I think, um, just because of how old he is. Whereas, their first four picks are all thinking like juniors. They're all 18. Um, they're spending next year in juniors and probably the year after that before they go to San Diego or Anaheim. So I think King is the first one we're going to see in San Diego. Um, uh, Minjikov, he's the one who might um, make it to Anaheim uh, for the 2023-2024 season, depending on how next year goes. Yeah. If he just completely dominates the OHL, um, it might not be worth having him back for his final season of junior hockey. It might be worth it to have him come and stay with the Ducks, even if he's not quite fully ready. Um, but, you know, like we saw with Drysdale the last couple of years, um, his first year, two years ago, was he completely ready for the NHL? No. But I think that experience was very good for him, and he got that experience because of the OHL uh, being shut down by the pandemic. So, Minchikov, if he can really just dominate, we might see him a year from now. But the rest of them, you know, they're spending, I think, at least two years in juniors, and then we'll see. It might be AHL first and then AHL. Um, or, you know, they have two solid seasons in junior. They might skip the goals entirely. But the Ducks, generally speaking, usually like to give players at least a, a little bit of time in the AHL, if not a full season, you know, a few weeks, a month or two before, before having them go to the AHL full-time. I mean, even going back, uh, way back when, to the young days of Getzoff and Perry, you know, they started their rookie season with the Ducks. Then they both struggled for a bit, went down to the minor leagues, um, just dominated the AHL for a month or two, and then came back to the Ducks and never looked back. So I could see that kind of thing happening with these players um, once they are AHL eligible. Um, But we'll see. But overall, I think the Ducks did well. Um, I really like their first pick with Mijikov. Um, Gaucher, uh, he's not who I would have taken, but, you know, Martin Matt and Pepper Beak know a lot more than I do. They know what they're <laughs> looking for, and I think he's a player who could work really well in the NHL. I saw someone on Twitter point out, you know, this is the kind of player teams trade for at the deadline and give up a first-round pick to get to help put their team over the top. And if you already have that kind of player in your system, well, you don't need to spend another, someone else's first-round pick. You've already got that player, um, so hopefully you're already at that point. Um, so... If he is ready when the Ducks are ready to compete again, he could be a really, really useful piece for them. So I saw a lot of grades out there for the Ducks, uh, and I and I know you you kind of look at it to wait and see down the road. We always talk about you know you, we don't know 
Um, especially like in your trade articles too, when we talk about analyzing them down the road, you, um, if those of you that read the articles, um, you know, Thomas does the, uh, one year later trade articles and he talks about, you know, kind of grading them and looking at them and whatnot. Um, and I know it's difficult, but what kind of grade would you give for this class based upon what we've seen so far and what we know now? So what I've seen, what I've read from others, most people seem to be giving the ducks a B, B plus and, I think that sounds right. You know, their first four picks are, uh, they're not locks being the NHL, far from it, because I, I don't think there's any player this year you can say 100% you will be an NHL player for the next 15 years. You know, Slavkovsky, Wright, Cooley, etc. are the closest thing to that, but even them, you're not going to say you would definitely make it. Just think back to um, Edmonton when they picked uh, Neil Yakupov first overall. He looked like a future star, and, you know, it was, what, three or four years later, and he was out of the league. Um, so there's never a guarantee especially in a draft like this where there's not a true franchise player but i would be surprised if let's say other first four picks if two of them aren't in the hl for a long time to come and it wouldn't shock me if all four make it to the hl um and at least play for a number of years and then for the you know the back half of the draft they drafted some really interesting players with uh clear flaws in all their games but a lot of upside as well you know You've got King, we're going to see him with the goals really fast, and you know that's an exciting thing to see have a junior player. You can put him against pro competition after drafting him, and you'll get a better idea of what he's like. And you've got um, this, where he's just he's so young, who knows what he's going to become over the next couple of years. And then, you know, those last two picks, um, the late fifth pick, and then the sixth uh, round pick, um, again, who knows what they can become. Kala will be going to Harvard, and they, you know, they're a very good program. The Ducks have had other players. I think actually have someone there right now. I can't remember who. It might be Janicki. I just double check that. But they, um, you know, Harvard's certainly a school they've used, so they're familiar with uh, with players coming out of there. Uh, and then Butiets, you know, he's a long shot best um, as a six round pick. Throw in just the Russian factor, it's even more of a long shot. But hey, if he works out, great. Just think of how many great goaltenders come out of later rounds. Maybe he's going to. Maybe he's the next one. Maybe not. But the Ducks have a number of other good goaltending prospects. Uh, Dostal, they just got Kelly Clank from Pittsburgh. So they don't need him to be you know, the next John Gibson for them. Great if he was. And that's why they took a shot to see what would happen. Um, so I, I think I agree with those people. BB plus, as of right now, hopefully in five years I'm saying it's an A draft and not a C draft. Um, hopefully these players are really developed, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I agree with what a lot of people are saying out there. Probably around the B level, maybe B plus. Uh, I do like the size and uh, that they did with the the players and this. And like you said, not just size but skill too. Um, I, I thought that was good. I did like uploading on defense, uh, given with what this draft was, as you'd mentioned, and, and everyone else had mentioned that kind of outside of the first round, it just kind of fluctuated all over the place because obviously the the last two years of our lives have been kind of turned upside down. So. It's been tough to evaluate talent. It's also been tough for players to play full seasons. So, you know, another draft that uh, is difficult to evaluate. But I, I did like what the Ducks did. I thought they um, got the best players that, that they wanted. I'm with you. Gaucher was not one that I thought at that time when watching that they would pick him at 22nd. I thought there were a couple others that they would pick. But like you said, I'm, I'm not Madden. I'm not Verbeek. <laughs> I'm not the expert. Um, but... Uh, just and looking who was available, I wasn't sure if they would go with him or not. I'm, I'm not disappointed in that pick. I just um, wasn't sure how it was going to pan out. 
uh, at that uh, point in time. One more thing, just by Gershay, one thing I saw was um, apparently Montreal was very interested in that 26th overall, which I think is why the Ducks took him where they did. Because if Montreal's not interested, maybe they can get him with their early second round pick. But if the Ducks really want him, uh, and they know Montreal also wants him, it makes sense to pick him when they have the pick and not uh, take that risk of missing out on him. That's a good point. I didn't know that. So, I mean, that, that makes more sense too, Thomas. You're right. Yeah. Why, why wait to the 42nd if you know he's going to be nabbed and then you do, you like what you see. So I, I think he will work out. I mean, another big guy, like you said, you know, six, three over 200 pounds. So, and I like what I saw, um, you know, looking in the reviews and, and different things that I read, what you wrote and what other people have done too. So yeah, I go with B, maybe B plus. Uh, like you said, in a couple of years, it could be an A draft. It could be a C draft. Who knows? We'll have to wait and evaluate it. Um, I guess the only other thing really want to kind of wrap up with is we talked about how the Ducks didn't make trades with any of the picks. Um, we touched on Gibson earlier in the show. Uh, obviously, free agency will come up. I think that's where you know, hopefully the Ducks will do some more moves and whatnot. But what is your take on bringing back Manson or Delorier? Um, there's been some talk of that. What What do you think? Because obviously Lindholm left. He, he signed that deal. He's gone. I don't think Raquel wants to come back. I haven't really heard anything about him. But what are your thoughts on Manson and Delo possibly coming back? I wouldn't say no to either one of them. Um, I think Delorier makes a little more sense just because he's going to probably be cheaper and a shorter contract. Um, but honestly, I love the both fit for the Ducks. I think I would rather give those positions to up-and-coming young players, though. You know, we just traded for Drew Hellison. Um, let's give him a shot. See what he can do. Mm-hmm. Seekers from, let's see what he can do. Um, or, you know, if, you know, Mitchikoff ha- comes in and has just an amazing training camp, give him the time to a contract, give him a few NHL games, let's see what he can do. Um, you do need some NHL talent to help shelter these guys is the one thing. And right now, you know, the defense is what? Fowler, Shattenkirk, Drysdale, and Mahara, who are signed through next year. Um, Lakanainen's going to be reassigned, there's no question in my mind, as a restricted free agent. So that's five NHL defensemen. You've also got some Benoit, who will probably be resigned, um, so we may qualify him. But, you know, another uh, NHL defenseman or two to help shelter the player, young players wouldn't be a bad thing. But at the same time, really giving them a chance, I would certainly be on board with. Um, so I wouldn't be opposed to Mance coming back. I wouldn't want it to be, say, a four-year deal. I'd want, you know, two three years at the most he's probably gonna want four or five or even more um and hey if he gets it on the open market great for him i'm very happy for him he deserves it but from the ducks perspective i don't really want to sign this summer anyone to a long-term deal um i think the ducks you know they've got another year of rebuilding i don't think they'll be one of the favorites to land bedard next year i think this going to be chicago i think it's going to be arizona but I think the Ducks will probably have another bad season and they'll be in line for Bedard or one of the other really high-profile picks in 20, um, at next year's draft. And I think after that is when they're going to start really trying to aggressively add talent. Um, so I think next summer is when they're going to possibly try and really sign uh, talent or trade for talent. I think for now, though, let's give the kids a chance. Let's see what they can do. Um, again, if you want to bring back Josh Benson to help shelter those kids, I'm totally on board with it. Uh, but on a shorter deal. Um, same for Delore. If he went to back for a year or two, um, play on the third or fourth line, help shelter these kids to give them more shelter minutes, more protective minutes, I am certainly open to that. Um, but I won't be upset if they, they go elsewhere. Gotcha. I, and I think that's a good point. I, I think I, I feel the same. I'd like to see. I don't know if we need both back, but if we got one back and on a shorter deal, 
I, I think, like you said, that would work out much better uh, to help this team. But you're right. we got to let the kids play, uh, let them develop. And, I mean, it's an exciting time right, there, right now. Yeah, the Ducks aren't going to be you know, Stanley Cup contenders next year. But you've got a lot of talent coming up. Um, you alluded to other names the Ducks got um, throughout the season and then now in the draft. And I'm really curious to see how it works out. So um, I appreciate all the work that you do, and, and especially in the summertime, Thomas. I mean, you cover a lot of stuff. You really keep uh, the website going, and I love having you on the show to talk about all this stuff because I know you, you dive into it. Um, before we close out, too, um, I know you do another podcast, so I wanted to see if you wanted to at least let people know about the podcast. It's not, it's not sports, but I wanted to see if you wanted to at least tell everybody your, your podcast that you do. Uh, sure. So uh, my wife and I, we do uh, a Star Wars podcast called TK331, a Star Wars EU slash elections podcast. Um, so it's incredibly nerdy, very niche. Um, <laughs> so when Disney bought Star Wars, uh, got a decade ago now almost, I think, yeah. um, one of the things that they did is so there had been uh, literally hundreds of books written about Star Wars um, from the 70s up until uh, that time. And they're all set in the same universe. They were all part of the same continuity. Um, comics as well, short stories. Um, and when uh, Disney bought uh, Star Wars, what they decided was um, those stories, we're going to call them legends instead. We're not going to base anything we do off of them. Um, we're just going to keep the six movies and the Clone Wars TV show, and everything else we do will be based on that. Um, we won't say, you know, those books are still existence. You can still buy them. They just have a Legends banner at the top. Um, and some of these books, some of these stories are really great, and some of them are frankly awful. Uh, Star Wars is a very, when you've got something that's you know hundreds of stories you have find uh, both ends of the spectrum, um, but we just thought it'd be fun to uh, just read through these books, read through these short stories, read through these comics, and just uh, talk about them. Um, so we publish two shows a month, um, where in one episode uh, we talk about a novel, and the other episode we uh, talk about a short story. And sometimes we'll do a bonus episode we talk about a comic or something else. Nice. So if you, I'm a big Star Wars fan too, uh, by the way. So if you want to geek out, because I do too on occasion, <laughs> you can check uh, Thomas's out uh, on Twitter on TK331 Podcast is the uh, Twitter handle to check him out. Uh, if you want to listen to something else besides sports, you know you want to you want to check out um, Star Wars. So again, thanks for coming on the show, Thomas. Um, Eddie and I will probably be back after free agency. See what the the Ducks do and have a, a more of our regular type program show. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Um, check out Thomas's articles. He broke down a ton of stuff uh, for us and did a fantastic job. Um, and uh, with that, like I said, we'll have another show probably in a week or two. And let's go Ducks.